1: Take a moment to connect with your mates. A simple text or an open conversation can make a world of difference. And if they don't respond right away, don't hesitate to follow up. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football.
0: Hey, up! It's the No Never Podcast with your host Jamie Smith.
2: Good evening and welcome to tonight's No Name Ever podcast, I'm Jamie Smith, my guests tonight James Bird and Ian Creamer will be along in a little while so we've got Adam joining us as well. Um, two away games to look back on as well as home games to look forward to and some big news about a big No Name Ever project that we're going to talk about a little bit later in the show. But we will kick off with that first ever win at the Reebok Stadium on Tuesday night. James, do you want to just um, walk us through that goal you were telling us about before we started recording?
3: You'd like my, my magnificent description? Um, oh, yeah, I'd, oh, I'd
2: like to share, share that with our
3: listeners. Arthur oh, gets into the box, knocks it across the six yard box, and Sam Vaux pops it in at the back post and goes mad, cry, go mad. We win <laughs> the end.
2: <laughs> Lovely. Really dramatic game, that one. It was a, a really big game for the season, I think. The fact that we were playing and other teams weren't in action, and it was our like game in hand, and to get that win. and get back in the top two, I thought that was really, really vital, and to go on and get a positive result at Bournemouth as, as well, extremely important. Just to go into a bit more detail on that Bolton game, it was a really tight game, wasn't it, James? I know you were doing the, the live blog with me Tuesday night. There wasn't a lot in it either way, was it? So really good that we came through with the win.
3: Uh, yeah, it seemed, I think a couple of our games recently have been quite tight, and uh, in the end, I think it's just been our extra little bit of fight, extra little bit of quality that's got
2: us the uh, result. Not many chances, really, in the game at all, but I suppose it was a, a typical Burnley away performance this season in that we kept it tight for the first half and second half, we went for it a little bit more, maybe, and got that goal. And after that, you were fairly confident we were going to see it through. It got a bit tense at the end, but got there in the end, and that three points extremely important, got Burnley back in the top three. Top two even, and that allowed us to go to Bournemouth and extend that position, Adam, you were at the game for us at the weekend. The conditions and the pitch made it a difficult difficult game all round for both sides really
4: yeah um, the the conditions to start with the, there was a bit of a dispute there was a, a seven seven thirty a m uh, pitch inspection, which wasn't the most helpful given that I was travelling from oxford to uh to Bournemouth in on the same day um but the the pitch um survived that inspection um but it was still really windy it was blowing a gale every now and then the sun was actually out so it wasn't wet um and then but there were there were occasional showers like every every now and then it wasn't that wasn't the problem but the pitch had a lot of like divots in it um i know um, Heaton had a few miskicks i don't know whether that was just mistake or or that he didn't he misjudged the the kind of pitch um in in the middle of the part they like Dean Marnie and and D- david jones seemed to to be like um mispassing a lot um and it 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 did kind of ruin ruin the the flow of the game a little bit um but um we we weren't we certainly weren't uh, at our best um, at the weekend. Um, I have to say this. This seems to be an issue on it after every game. But the the referee wasn't the best because he. It wasn't. <laughs> it wasn't that he he made many bad decisions. Really, it's that he he broken the he he broke the flow of the game by lecturing players very regularly without ever punish the, punishing them. I think there was only one yellow card for the whole game that I can remember. Um, but... Yeah, I think
2: both sides struggled a bit with the pitch, didn't they? I was watching the football each show earlier. Sean Dash commented on, on how difficult the pitch made it for both sides. Probably a shame, really, in that we like to keep the ball on the ground as much as possible and Eddie Howe's team's known for that. So probably spoiled what could have been a really entertaining game. I'm sure Eddie Howe would have liked to see his team keep the ball a little bit better than he was able to
4: yeah um i mean we know about eddie Eddie howe's style of play he doesn't he i think dice wants more mixed football whereas howe wanted it wanted it played along the floor whenever he could um so so it i don't know whether it it ruined their game really it just just seemed to affect most teams
2: it was quite a poor game in, in the end and a, Another goal conceded from a set-piece, I was reading online, someone has, someone's announced this earlier saying that the last ten goals we've conceded, that's seven from set-pieces. And actually the, the chap who scored for Bournemouth, Tokelo Ranti, I think his name is, he's only got two goals this season, they were both against us, so he must like playing against us. It's sloppy marking again from the corner, that's got to be a bit of a worry hasn't it Adam, the way that these set-pieces keep causing problems.
4: Yeah, I mean, it, it kind of is like we usually at the beginning of the season we didn't really seem to have a problem defending set pieces, but in the recent weeks it's it's really become a problem. I mean, at the at the corner for the goal, everyone just seemed to be standing still, not no, knowing where they where they're going. It's not that it was uh, unlucky or there was a particular mistake; it's just that we weren't that we weren't ready for the corner and we weren't prepared um, and and didn't mark up our people so. Um, it is becoming a bit of a problem, yeah.
2: I, I know when I'm doing the the live blog now for, that we always do on a match day. Whenever the opposition has a corner or a free kick, now I'm starting to get worried. Which is really a good signing. You'd hope with a team challenging promotion will start to cut these soft goals out. So hopefully we'll start to defend those a little bit better. Ian Creamer has joined us slightly late arrival. I thought you were getting home from work, weren't you, Ian? How how did you find the the Bournemouth game at the weekend? We were talking about how the conditions and the pitch made it difficult for both sides, really.
1: Yeah, it did. Yeah, it was a bit like driving down the M4 tonight. Very wet and not much fun, I have to say. Um... <laughs> But, yeah, I mean, when we first um, arrived, I mean, it's not far for us from Bournemouth. We're only in Newbury. Um, and we first arrived, and I thought, that, you know, it was going to be a real pudding of a pitch. And it looked fine. Um, but uh, as soon as it started playing on it, you could see, you know, the ball was sticking. People were trouble, having trouble finding their feet. And just never got going. I mean, it, it the, the team just looked disjointed. The passing just never got going. Um, and, you know, I think I, I certainly came away thinking... Okay, very happy with the point out of that, to be honest.
2: I'm sure the players were the same, weren't they? And looking at the two away games that we've seen in the last week since the last podcast Bolton away, Bournemouth away, we'd have been quite happy with four points from those two games, wouldn't we? And to get that yeah. pushing in second place is absolutely vital at this stage of the season.
1: Absolutely, yeah. You know, and I know I, I see a lot of reports talking about you know, two points a game is uh, is what you need to to challenge strong for promotion for automatic promotion and I think taking those yeah you know, an average of two out of those two games I think is is good news really I mean I was not bolton a uh, bit of a trek for a midweek game but um it's uh, it from everything I heard it sounded like it was a you know a bit of a slog but uh, good news that we came away
2: with a three but, and and Saturday certainly was a slog no doubt about that I missed the game at the weekend, actually. I was otherwise engaged, but there were a lot of comments online from Bournemouth fans that I was reading on Twitter saying that the Burnley fans weren't very loud. Um, True. <laughs> it's not, not something you normally say about Burnley fans. We normally take a good photo into to most places. I think there were over a 1,000 clarets there. What What was the atmosphere like at Dean Court the weekend, Ian?
1: Uh, it, was, it was subdued. I'd, uh, it was strange, actually. It felt a bit like a different different kind of crowd, really. I don't know if it was more of a Southern Clarets, London Clarets crowd um, than I've seen at some other games. Um, even my wife was with me and, and she said as we walked into the ground, she said, it just feels like, you know, it's kind of an older, different crowd uh, in the Burnley in the end. I think there we're like 1,300 nearly um, there. But it did seem really subdued, probably until we scored, and that was pretty much the only time we uh, we made a lot of noise. To be honest, so, yeah, I had lunch before the game with a friend of mine who's a born season ticket holder, and we we met them again afterwards, and even they were commenting on how quiet we were as a crowd, and yeah, they made a fair amount of noise actually for what was a I think around a ten thousand crowd in total. They had the obligatory drummer banging away, um, which is a bit frustrating, but uh, yeah, they I thought they did pretty well.
2: Maybe the Burnley fans were just knackered off the long journey. I, I was hearing earlier today that the, the Burnley players had planned to travel down the day before the game, as is fairly normal for long trips these days. But with the um, the pitch inspection early on Saturday morning, they decided to delay setting off and left on Saturday instead. So they had had mm. a long trip down. Maybe that had an impact on the performance as well. But an excellent point in the circumstances. That's two one-all draws, James, from the two games against Bournemouth. I think Eddie Howe's probably quite happy with that return against his old club,
3: isn't he? Yeah, I'd say out the two managers, Eddie's probably probably the happier. Um, it sounds like the pitch was a tough tough surface to play on on Saturday. Um, though obviously we are a side that like to mix it up a bit. I think um, Dash likes to play the short stuff, but he likes to play the long stuff as well because it makes us unpredictable. Um, but I think really we're probably disappointed that we didn't get um, a, a a win at home Um, but I don't think you can really complain with draws away from home most of the time we've got to talk about the impact of
2: Keith Tracy who is an enigma let's say Keith Tracy we always talk about him on the podcast because everyone wants him to to prove people wrong Um, Adam we'll just come back to you on this one I've read some comments online saying that he didn't really have that much of an impact on the game apart from the goal but I I suppose you will take that won't you if he comes up with an equaliser
4: yeah, I mean he 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 had an impact in that he he made a few runs down down the left hand side and then he swapped over and wasn't as effective on the right. I don't think, um, but I suppose it, all you want from a winger is them to, for them to pro- provide a goal or an assist, and and he did that. So I thought he he did look he looked better than I, I've seen him before. Really, um, I haven't seen the, the Clarets too much this season, but. Um, he he certainly looks improved, and he had a desire. I don't know whether that's that's something Dash has thought about taking him out the the squad almost, um, and then bringing him back, and then he he's driven again. Um, but I have to say there were there were a few shouts from the crowd just go go on, Keith, go on, and and a few long chants of, um, just the the Keith. Um, and and it was quite a comedic because you know that everyone wants to, in, him to do well you you know that the the crowd really want him to succeed and and so when he got that goal i think there was a bit of confusion about who actually got it because it was credited to Ings i believe um and it it from a from quite a long way away they they kind of look the same but um, they got seven. Well, they both—they're both quite stocky. They got—they uh, got
2: black hair. They, they score goals. You just I'm, compared how stocky. You just compared how stocky Danny Ings is to Keith Tracy. I think you'll, I you'll thought no, no no, no, no. I thought Keith Tracy
4: really... looked. I thought Keith <laughs> Tracy looked um, thinner than I've seen him before. Though. <laughs> God, this is whoa. Sorry, something's just happened on the TV. That's exciting.
2: <laughs> Great radio. Yeah, you, good, you're good right. Track. Actually, you're right. By um, Ings being credited for the goal, I was checking the scores in a museum on Saturday afternoon, and um, it came up that Ings had scored. I was like, "Yeah, that sounds about right." And then came up that Tracy had scored, and I was absolutely delighted. Tracy, a little bit unlucky, really, in that he was playing quite well and he got in the side in place of He was having a bit of a rest, but the injury knocked him out of the side, out of the squad, in fact, and. We've played the same team for five games in a row now, I believe, Ian. So he's going he's to find it hard to get back in, isn't he? But the competition for places is going to be very important between now and the end of the season. Uh, I'm sorry,
1: Jamie. I, I completely got lost there. My wife walked in with a dog. <laughs> I had to shepherd the dog out of the lounge. So I didn't even hear your question. I do apologise. <laughs>
2: This is um, outstanding work. Jeff Stelling really doesn't have to cope with this in second <laughs> but I suppose he's got Paul Merson and his words to contend with as well. I saying about Keith Tracy, who's in and out of the side with the, the injuries he's had recently, but good to see him make an impact on his return. So yeah, it
1: was. Yeah, yeah. I think as as Adam said, uh, you know, he didn't do a lot. He was he was reasonably up and down, and I think he kind of drifted in and out of the game as we we kind of expect to see from him. Um, obviously, you know, getting the goal. It, it's funny actually because there was a guy sat right behind me, who probably not not more than twenty seconds before Tracy scored said, "I can just see Keith scoring here just to annoy Eddie Howard." Obviously, he went out of favour with, um, and bang, in it went. So, but uh, yeah, I mean. He's a bit part player for me at best, um, so I, I think he might struggle. Um, and yeah, you know, I don't know if you're going to talk about it, but I think Wall. You know, I look at Wallace as well, who obviously came on as as a sub and obviously set. You know, had an assist in the goal, but apart from that, he was oh, he was dreadful. He just every touch that he he made just went to uh, went to a Bournemouth player, and you know, he really looked completely rusty. So. So yeah, that kind of you know shortens our options a little bit, I guess.
2: It's a funny one, really, in that we've got five five wingers that I'd say are at least decent standard for the championship, if not good good um, standard for the championship. Stanislas as well, who finds his game time a little bit limited on Sean Dyche. I'd like to see Tracy start the home games, I think, rather than Kyte, just because I think he offers a bit more going forward, but. I understand completely why Sean Dash prefers to go with Kylie or the Tracy when both players are fit. We've got some comments to go through before we move on to our extremely important announcement that we're going to do slightly later in the show. Jack says he's worked out why we concede so many from corners at the minute. Dash wants to let the other team score so they don't get upset. I think that's... Unlikely, really. Sean Dash seems like quite a hard man, so it's probably not realistic. Um, Will says we've actually got one of the best defences in the league. Yes, we've conceded a few from set pieces, but we can work on that. Our defence has come on miles from the Eddie Howe days. We'll talk a little bit more about Eddie Howe later in the show. Um, Paul says he's really pleased for Keith at his goal. A point away on a bad day is not to be sniffed at. I'm sure we probably shifted a couple of our Keith T-shirts on the back of his (laughs) game-changing little cameo at Dean Court. Those T-shirts are still for sale at nonanever.net slash shop, I believe. So Um, get your hands in your pocket for those, they are limited edition and we don't make any profit on those T-shirts, so don't think you're lying in our pockets. That's not the case at all. Um I do want to come back to Eddie Howe, actually. Um, his comments after the game on Saturday were that he, he felt that he'd restricted our chances extremely well. We talk about his teams not defending well at all, but maybe that was a little bit different. What do you think about that, Ian? We didn't really create a lot of the weekend. How much of that was down to the way Bournemouth defended and how much of it was just... Not was really being on our game. I mean, I didn't,
1: I didn't see anything special from from Bournemouth. I didn't kind of look across their back four and think, you know, they were uh, they were magnificent or anything. I think we just never got going. Uh, now you might say, well, that's that's down to yeah, that's down to them. But I, you know, I, I just think it was an off day for us. I mean, I know Dash said we had five or six below par, and I think, you know, that's being generous in some ways. Um, so you know, I. I I think it's more the fact that uh, we just didn't play on the day, as opposed to uh, to Bournemouth defending uh, defending that well
2: or stopping us. And um, of course, just looking back at Eddie Howe generally, I think maybe is it closure yet with the the Burnley fans? Do you think, Ian? There's a lot of people still a bit upset about the way he left, but I suppose the fact that we're doing so well with Sean Dyche maybe means. People aren't that fussed about him anymore. What are your thoughts on the Eddie Howe situation now, a little bit down the line after he's left?
1: Yeah, I mean, I don't. I always felt like there was something kind of that we didn't know about when he when he left, and you know, obviously he be, he became quite honest and, and about his personal circumstances shortly afterwards. Um, he, um, I don't know, ever did he ever really settle in Burnley? I don't, I don't know, and, and and I don't sense any animosity you know it's certainly not a coil situation or anything like that um you know at Bournemouth on on Saturday I never really felt like people really talked about him that much to be honest with you uh he was there with Tinder, waving away to the crowd but um you know there wasn't any booing particularly or 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 any real comment about him I think people have just accepted it for what it was we've moved on he's moved on and yeah, we've certainly I think got the better of the deal
4: yeah, is uh, I I noticed that there were I kind of, I I kind of thought before the game. I wonder if anyone's going to boo because there, I think there were a few boos at at, at the turf, but I didn't hear any. Um, but I I stayed in Bournemouth over the weekend, and I kind of realised why why I wanted to go back because it's a lovely place and it's so different to Burnley. You can kind of see how. How he was out of his comfort zone completely—it's—it's it's kind of um, obvious now, um, more than more so than it was when he first left.
3: Uh, yeah, and I think um, <clears throat> part of the reason that he, he got a bit of a mixed reception at home was in the the days before he did that interview with the Guardian. I think it was. Yeah, absolutely he, right. He, I was yeah. going to bring that up. Where he said that he never should have come to come to Burnley. Uh, but I think ultimately he did us a favour going back when he did because um, I think a couple of months down the line we would have been looking to sack him. So um, he saved us a lot of money.
2: Yeah, I was, I was actually at the, the Palace game that turned out to be his last game in charge and there were some fans then suggesting that his days could be numbered and the way we were conceding goals, it, it was something that was going to be extremely difficult to, to carry on and it's no surprise Sean Dyche immediately started arresting that defensive issue. Um just to stick with Eddie Howe for now that the the Guardian interview that he did do. I just thought it was the timing of it personally. I thought the timing was really really poor. The fact that it was just before we played them. I don't. I think what he said was probably fair. But it, it's just it's difficult to judge tone in a written article, but I, I felt it wasn't quite um Maybe in the spirit of it. After all, we've given him the opportunity to prove himself at a high level, and at the end of the day, it was it was him that had failed. So I, I felt he had to take a bit of responsibility for that. But certainly, no hard feelings from my point of view. And as I say, eighteen months down the line, Ian, we've we've gone from strength to strength, and he's doing very well at Bournemouth. So everyone's done pretty well after that deal, and I'm sure we wouldn't swap the managers given the choice now, would we?
1: Oh no, absolutely not. It was funny walking up to the ground with, with my mate, as I say, he's a season ticket holder there and you know, he said I said, How have they been playing this season? And he said, You know, we we keep possession well, we have a lot of possessions, good passing football, but yeah, you know, nothing really, no kind of penetration up front and I thought, Well, that all sounds very familiar, doesn't it? <laughs> um, you know. But uh I think it's his home, it's his spiritual home and I think he's he's yeah, very comfortable there and you know, good luck to him.
2: It will be interesting to see what his next move is because presumably a point will come when he, he can't take Bournemouth any further. It looks like they're going to be mid-table this season. And Got to look at a club the size of Bournemouth on 10,000 home crowds. I know they've got a fairly rich backer in championship standards, but the fact is he's not going to get Bournemouth to the Premier League, surely. So it will be fascinating to see where he expects he's going to be able to go. I'm just not sure there's the, the potential for that for that club to get so large so really interested to keep an eye on Eddie Howe and see how he gets on in the future we do have a couple more comments to get through Roger was at the game on Saturday as well he says he's definitely happy with the point that Burnley picked up it was for a number of reasons the pitch and the windy conditions most importantly Eddie set up to cut out the trippier supply line I think that's what a lot of managers do if they've done any homework to be honest it's It's quite obvious that Kieran Tripp is our main creative threat a lot of the time, so most managers will try and do that. Roger points out that Trippier had an early injury as well, which meant he had to stay back in a defensive role rather than an advanced position. We need the other side to be more progressive in such a case. Adam, did you notice anything about the Trippier injury? I read something about maybe feeling he's groin, not in yeah, that was, way was feeling... earlier in the game, but there's not been anything official since, so we've got to assume that he's okay, I suppose.
4: Yeah, he, he usually does that. He, he usually has an injury and then come, comes through it all right and then you never hear anything about it again. The amount of times that I've done a, a live blog and the Clarex player commentary has been saying, oh, Trippier's injured again, um, and then mate almost made a joke of, of about him him coming through it all right um and uh yeah when he was was injured he, he just didn't look um kind of on on his best on his best form and duff was was covering a lot for him he was he, he was almost playing right back for for um for a few minutes it was um, he just looked like he went off the boil and then got his head in the game and he was all right after that and obviously it wasn't a serious injury at all.
2: Well, you'd expect a player as important as Trippier as so if, if there was something that was going to really restrict him then we'd, we'd bring him off and not risk it getting even worse. Yeah. The last game I was at, the, the Millwall one, uh, the weekend before last, he had the same, I think it was the second half he was feeling the back of his leg, he must have had something wrong with his thigh, but carried on and five minutes late was absolutely fine so he's just one of those players who sometimes little things happen in the middle of a game but he always ends up carrying on he's a warrior like that like Kieran Trippier barely missed a minute of action since signing for us actually yeah, Ian you've got a point incredible. on this Trippier injury situation
1: yeah, it was it was funny. Adam may have seen it too, but um, he um, he kind of slipped and stretched uh, trying to get a ball. He, he and <laughs> looked a bit foolish, actually, the way he ended up. But um, and then as he was walking back um, towards our goal, you could definitely see him kind of, as I say, holding the groin. But it, it's just interesting with Trippier. I, I don't know um, whether, how relevant it is, but to Adam's point earlier, he you know for quite often in. Particularly early on in the game, you just see him kind of get get taken apart. I mean, I think it was uh, Mike Pugh on Saturday who who just tore him apart for the first twenty minutes, first twenty five minutes, and then he seemed to get back into it. But you know, if he's really is going to go on to be a top prem player, and I think he has that in him, he's going to have to get that out of his game because you know, he, he, <laughs> to lo- you know, if you lose a goal or two in the first twenty minutes of a game because Trippier's is not quite on it. Then yeah, that's that's not going to uh,
2: cut it in the Premiership. I think that was a good point actually. It's especially against faster defense, faster wingers as well. Adam, what do you make of um, Kieran Kieran Trippier's defending in the early stages of, of matches?
4: Yeah, we, yeah, we've mentioned it a lot on the podcast. It's always we, it, it's always a thing like Trippier, good good solid for most of the game, but in the first ten twenty minutes. It takes a while to adjust, especially if there's someone running, running at him with pace. Um, and I, I agree with, um, with Ian that it, it, if he's going to go on to the Premier League, he needs to kind of cut that out, out of his game and, and prepare um, to, for, to, to defend properly from the first minute.
3: I'm not sure. Esau Katu was in the Premier League last season, and uh, on recent evidence, he's not prepared to defend properly at all. Valid,
2: valid point. <laughs> fair point, very fair point. He's absolutely dreadful after the cost of, isn't he? Every time he's on telly, which is every week because he plays for QPR, he seems to have a shocker. He was particularly bad against us. It's amazing, really, that he was Spurs' first choice left-back as recently as last season. It's yeah. absolutely crazy. He looks like a fairly awful player, and people criticise Ben Me sometimes on the live blog and in the comments that we get on the on the podcast as well, and you just wonder, like... <laughs> have you imagined, seen some of the other left backs yeah. around? Ben B does a perfectly good job, and <laughs> rather have him than Asier Castro any day. Remember,
4: um, remember in the um, Carling Cup when he he passed the the ball back obviously to the goal goalkeeper um, for Spurs, and and it was blatantly a, a penalty because it was a pass back. It was literally like a shot on goal. Um, does anyone remember that in in the cup run <laughs> a few years ago? No, uh, um, that one's gone. No, nope, apparently not. But it,
2: it happened. I, I remember <laughs> it clearly. <laughs> well done for trying to, to raise a point there, Adam, which didn't really work very really well. You just got <laughs> moving away from <laughs> Moving away from the football, just briefly, Um have been teasing this on social media all day. We are working on a big new project here at No Name Ever, and we are going to be doing a video for the Rovers. The idea is that it's going to look bit like a flick book of people's faces, uh, supporters of both Burnley and Blackburn Rovers football clubs. And we're planning to get that done a week or so before the derby and get that online for everyone to watch. We will be shooting in and around Turf Moor at the weekend. And what we really want is for as many people as possible to get down, probably around midday and leading up to kick-off. And we'll only need you for a few seconds each. Ideally, you'll be wearing colours, and we'll just shoot you looking serious and moody in front of the turf, and it should be a really, really good little video that we can um, hopefully get played at the turf. We can't confirm that just yet, but we are in talks with the club. The club's been very supportive on this. Um, So just to recap, we are wanting people to get down to the turf around midday and leading up to the kick-off time when we will be shooting our video, and hopefully it should be a good turnout Especially, I need to stress this as well, we really want to get some Rovers fans involved. Um, The idea is for it to be a real collaboration almost. It's difficult for me to explain the video really because it's not my vision. It's Thomas Pickles who we've had on the podcast several times in the past. Thomas has written a poem that he's going to read over the top of the video so hopefully it will all come together but we are looking for as many people as possible to get down to the turf before the game and we will try and get people to confirm that they'll be there so we know who we're looking out for we'll confirm those details in the next couple of days and we'll get an article on the site as well but we do want it to be neutral we want it to be uplifting and celebratory and really just showcase the best of what East Lancashire's got to offer ahead of that big derby game which will hopefully, of course, be the first time we beat Blackburn Rovers in 34 years. So if you are going to the game on Saturday, Nottingham Forest, of course, the visitors to the turf, big, big game, two teams in the top six going head-to-head, get down there early, come and find me and Kevin outside the turf, we'll shoot you, not with a gun, <laughs> with our video camera, and we'll get you in our video, It should be really, really excellent. Um, we'll have a chance for you to sign up as well on the website, net as always where you can um, confirm that you'll be there and we'll be expecting you and you'll just have to sign a little release form and we'll have five seconds of your time and that will be it. it's not going to be a big commitment at all so hopefully we'll get lots and lots of people down there and um, we'll be famous on the back of it so <laughs> that's something to look forward to this weekend do want to move on to the forest game a little bit james that's going to be absolutely massive isn't it forest on a really good run of form at the minute about the same as ours, so potentially the winner could go on to get that automatic promotion place.
3: Yeah, I mean, I think the next the next two home games in particular are absolutely absolutely massive for us, especially at the moment while QPR are on a bit of a bit of a dodgy run. Uh, we need to take advantage of that, and obviously these are a lot of big clubs that haven't visited the turf yet, um, which I've been banging on about being a big advantage of ours in the race for second. Um so now we really need to cash in on the opportunity and uh and, and see it through and, and make second hours. Our home form
2: has been tremendous all season. We're unbeaten since March. So these big games coming up, Forest, Derby, Leicester City as well in the next few weeks, all coming to the turf. It's gotta be an opportunity to get these big points, six pointers almost when our rivals come to the turf. So hopefully we'll get um really, really good. Performances and it should be a really good game. Actually, Forest, I'm sure, will come for the win. The form they're in, um, we've got four points from those two away games. Ian, do you think four points from the two home games coming up, Forest and Derby, is that a good target, or do you think six is what we need to be going for?
1: Well, I think we need to be going for six, but I wouldn't be unhappy with four. To be honest with you, um, I think uh, Derby look a good side. You know, of course, we always beat Derby at least away from home. Um, so we seem to have a bit of a sign on them. Um and Forest are packed full of good players. Um though, you know, being there on Saturday, if nothing else, gives me the opportunity to get close enough to be abusive to Billy Davis, who I completely detest as a manager. <laughs> um, and uh, and for once I'm sitting in the Bob Lloyd stand, so I'll be even closer to him. Um so um yeah, I think you know, be very happy,
2: very happy with four points out of those two games. You might be very close to him, but he'll still look a long way away because he's an extremely small person. <laughs> <laughs> um, James, Forrester are in absolutely fantastic form. Jamie Patterson, their winger in particular, has been lighting up the championship in recent weeks. Do you think they're maybe our main challenges at the minute? QPR have fallen away a little bit, haven't they? They lost at home to Reading at the weekend. Uh, I,
3: think it's, I think it's difficult to say really, to be honest. Um... If things keep going the way they are, I'd say we probably maybe don't even have a, a contender to to take that spot off us. Um but obviously that does depend entirely on whether we can, can cash in on these games we've got at home against big sides. Um they're in they're in fine form, but they've not lost in quite a while. I don't know how many games it is, but uh whereas teams like Derby and obviously QPR have stumbled a little bit and they've kept getting getting points on the board every game. So uh now, there is a chance they could get up there alongside us, but um, even if they win their game in hand, they're still obviously three points behind.
2: The thing is, as well, it's something we stressed after the, the QPR game at the weekend, is the fact that we've got this little cushion now, and it is actually in our hands, which is probably for the first time, really, earlier in the season, we were in very good positions as well, but far too far away from the end of the season to talk about things like things being in our hands. But now we are getting into the final stretch, middle of February now, only really a handful of matches left. And if we do our jobs and win the home games and get points away from home, promotion is, is looking pretty realistic. Ian, do you think the players are already starting to think about promotion or do you think, gosh, is going to keep them grounded? How do you think they're going to approach this running?
1: Um, I mean, my senses. I'm, I'm no insider of the team, but my sense is that Dash keeps them very grounded, um, and um, I think you know if we can just keep that, just keep our heads, keep our cool, and keep injury free for the next uh, you know next month or two, then I think that puts us in a tremendous position to uh, to go on and do it. It's uh, up until uh, QPR has hit this bad run of form. I, I thought, well, you know, this is. This is probably where we're going to end up. We're going to be third or or, or fourth, but um, I can actually see us doing it now automatic
2: um, with QPR falling away. People have got absolutely the right to start getting carried away. I certainly am. The the Bolton game for Mm. me was a real sort of important moment in the season in that it it was our game in hand from the the Cup games, meaning that it was postponed and it, it was the chance to get back to second and it was just the sort of match that I think in the past Burnley have been guilty of not making the most of, it's sort of game where you could see us going there and not really performing and getting beat 2 nothing or something against quite a poor Bolton side so I thought it was absolutely huge that we went to Bolton and got that win, the defenders absolutely magnificent, getting that clean sheet as well was vital because we've been conceding quite a lot of goals recently but and the Bolton game absolutely massive, and a similar result on Saturday when Forest comes to the turf could be absolutely huge. Um, again tomorrow as well, I think it's tomorrow night. Might be Wednesday night. That I just want to touch on is Forrest against Leicester. Um, just want to ask the pair of you, James and Ian, what what do you think the best result is from a Burnley point of view? There, Forest of course chasing us down and Lester are a bit clear at the top. Do you think, James, maybe a Leicester win to keep Forrest behind us or do you think we can still chase Leicester down? What's What are your thoughts on Forrest Leicester?
3: Um, a draw or a Forest win because I, I think we can chase Leicester down um, if they go on a bad run and, and we can keep our current form going. Um, we've been a bit up and down recently. We've not lost a lot, obviously, because we only lost three times all season. Um, but we have picked up a few more draws than maybe we'd like. But if we can start stringing together a couple of wins, and obviously the next three games are a great opportunity to do that, um, then I think we could catch Leicester if they had a little bit of a blip.
2: Leicester, of course, have had that incredible run that's just come to an end now. I think they won nine league games in a row, so hopefully that's been their little purple patch and... They'll drop a few more points and if we can be within striking distance of them, I think it's the end of March they come to the turf. Um and we could have another special event that day as well. I can't really give details of yet because it's not anywhere near finalised, but keep an ear out for that. Um Ian, what about you, Forest Leicester? It's Wednesday night. What what do you think the best result is from a Burnley point of view? I come from the other angle. I'd I'd actually um
1: prefer to see a Leicester win. Um, I have a sense that they're they're away. I think they're they're a good side. They're packed full of goals. They'll have a, a dodgy patch at some stage, I'm sure. But I think they've got enough about them to uh, to kind of finish the table top or you know I would expect top. Um, so I think you know keeping keeping teams off our tails at the moment is uh, is probably the biggest priority
2: for me. There's also a school of thought, I suppose, as well in that. If if maybe Leicester gave Forrest a bit of a beating midweek, Forrest could come to the turf with their tails between the legs, but maybe then they'd be wanting to bounce back. There's all sorts of little sub-stories at this time of the season. I'm sure Billy Davies not really popular around turf more, so I'm sure he'll be up for the game and he'll have his players up for the game as well. It'll be extremely interesting. We'll just um, get some predictions for uh, Burnley-Forrest from the pair of you, actually, before we close the show for the day. We'll start with you, James. What do you think? Saturday is that unbeaten home run going to continue
3: I think it will I think it will I think we'll uh, will pick up a clean shape and uh, I think we're overdue a game where we score a few goals so I'm going to say 2-0 uh,
2: always love the optimism James always love the optimism what about you Ian Well I I said on Saturday just before the game kicked off
1: I felt like we we owed somebody a bit of a pasting it's been a while since we've given anybody one so I'm going to go slightly more optimistically just for once and uh, and say 3-1 to Burnley
2: I actually think it might be a draw and I said that for the Bournemouth game so I hope I'm wrong Um, (laughs) but yeah I'm going to predict the draw I'm going to go 1-1 again Um, Adam we'll just bring you in finally before we wrap up for the day what do you reckon for Saturday's game at the turf? Burnley Uh, Forest I reckon we are going to draw 2-2. Two, 2-2 two. Two, two is not a bad show. We've got some comments to to run through from the the live chatters as always. Thanks for your company on the on the podcast, it's always great to have people chatting along, Jack says, Leicester are bound to have a bad run of form, pretty much the only team not to have had a bad run of form, yet Paul says draws are good, I think that's referring to one of our comments earlier, saying we've been drawing a few too many, Alex says your falling away but they could win their games in hand, um, that's fair but I think I'd rather have the points on the board at this stage of the season, I think we we're in a very good position Jack says, let's hope the same thing doesn't happen against Forest. that happened last season, penalty in about the 8th minute of injury time and Roger's pointed out that they have to play Derby away, QPR home, Reading at home, and Forest at home. I think that might be Leicester he's referring to. I'm not sure actually. Um, just a final reminder, actually, about Saturday's game. If you are going to be at the turf mall um for the game, please do come down and take part in our video. Let us know in advance if you're going to be there. Well, have full details on the site known tomorrow and uh, get yourself signed up and we'll love to see you down there. Get your colours on if possible and we'll make it a really rousing, inspiring video. Um, So, yeah, like I say, get yourself down to the turf from about midday on Saturday. And if you're not there, we will have No Name never Live as usual. My guests tonight have been James Bird and Ian Creamer. Thanks a lot for everyone who's listened and we'll be back next week. Good night.
0: You've been listening to the No Name Never podcast. For more, visit never.net. And don't forget, follow us on Twitter at net.
1: The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. As football fans, we often pride ourselves on knowing everything, from which substitution can turn the game around to the quickest route home to beat the crowds. However, when it comes to discussing feelings with our friends, we might not always feel as confident. That's why we're here to equip you with the right tools so you can reach out to those who can help. If your mates are struggling, let them know that the Samaritans are free to call on 116123. That's 116123. They are there to listen without judgment or pressure. 24-7, 365 days of the year. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football.
0: Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's maximize your home ground advantage with mcdelivery order now on the mcdonald's app at participating restaurants 18 plus serving times delivery fee and terms apply see mcdonald's.com this podcast is proud to be part of the talk sport fan network talk sport powered by fans